You are listening to You Were Made for This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made for This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 56, where today we talk about how changing the way we think changes the way we relate to others. But before we get into this, I have two responses from listeners about prior episodes I want to share with you. The first is about the relationship quote from a few weeks ago, episode 55, the one about how to overcome our greatest relationship obstacle. The relationship quote uh, is from a birthday card I received, and it goes like this, dance like no one is watching because they're not. They're all checking their cell phones. Well, Darlene, uh, one of our listeners wrote in and said, this is the best real life ocean deep soul meism quote ever. Uh, you might remember the whole episode was about this concept of meism, self-centeredness. She goes on to say, it truly hit home for me in more ways than I care to admit, but it is also extremely freeing. Well, thank you for that, uh, Darlene. I appreciate that, and it certainly was convicting for me, too, spending way too much time checking my cell phone. The next response comes from a listener in Pittsburgh, Randy, and he wrote in to say the following, I can't wait to get into my car to listen to this week's You Were Made for This episode. It is breakfast for my soul as I drive to work each Wednesday morning. Wow, I really appreciate that. Breakfast for my soul. Well, thanks for sharing that, Randy, and thank, thank you, Darlene, as well. Last week in episode 56, we examined three ways God transforms us into a new person by changing the way we think. Today, we will consider how our relationships can be transformed by changing the way we think. I'll start with a story. When I was a teenager, I always wanted to be a teacher once I got out of school because as a teacher, I could work in a school building where I knew I'd be safe. Living at home didn't feel safe, but school buildings did. I so looked forward to being a teacher because not just that I would be safe in the building, but that I could share my passion for history that I had developed in college. Well, during the summer, I had a very boring job one year. It was a job where I had to uh, drill holes in, uh, in two very small parts of an uh, aluminum casting. And the beginning of the summer, I was given two 55-gallon drums of these little parts that were about uh, two or three inches square each. And uh, I was told, just drill these two holes, and hopefully by the end of the summer, you'll get, them, get it finished. Well I, well, I think I did, but it was so boring. Every day, the same thing, drilling these two holes. Uh, it wasn't hard. It was just downright boring. Well, what I did during that time in drilling these holes, I, I imagined what it was going to be like uh, my first day of teaching. Uh, I rehearsed in my mind what I was going to say that very first day as a history and also English teacher. 
And I was uh, actually worried that, that kids might ask me history questions that I couldn't answer. And so during the academic year, I really studied hard because I didn't want to embarrass myself if they were to ask me, ask me questions, history questions that I didn't know. Well, I got that first job as a teacher. And my first day of employment, we had a new teacher orientation. There were about 25, 30 of us. And we heard a talk from our superintendent, our school superintendent, Robert Kreuzer. I don't remember much of what he said, except for one quote that has actually stuck with me uh, ever since. I think about it maybe several times a year. And here's what he told us as first-year teachers. Never fall in love with your own idea. Hmm. You know, I wasn't quite sure at the time what he meant, but I soon learned. Because, as I mentioned, I was just very excited to teach history. Not kids so much, but I wanted to teach history. And I quickly learned within the first week of my teaching career that kids didn't appreciate history nearly as much as I did. The questions I feared from them really never came. Instead, their questions were along the lines of, where's lunch? Uh, And when does Christmas vacation start? And, hey, Mr. Sertalic, why are are you dressed so funny today? Well, I I was disappointed that these kids didn't have the passion for history uh, that I did. I thought they would, because I did. And and then I started to look around at my teaching colleagues, my, my friends in the teaching profession, and I noticed that, that there were really two kinds of teachers. There were those who loved the subject matter, like I did with history or math or sciences, and then those who really loved kids. And at some point, I began to consider what Mr. Kreuzer said, never fall in love with your own idea. Uh, my own idea that I had fallen in love with was that 13-year-old 8th graders would love history as much as I did, and that my job was to instill this passion for history in them. I soon realized, though, that I needed another idea, a better idea. The better idea came when I changed my thinking from being someone who taught history to someone who taught students. It came when I changed my thinking to view history and English as a means to an end and not as an end to itself. Students were the end. History and English were the context for imparting to students who had a difficult and rocky relationship with their parents, who didn't have any close friends, students who were competing to be at the top of their class, students who worried about even graduating because they were not gifted with a very sharp mind. And there was a student who got in trouble with the police, and then another one who had an abortion and felt guilt over it. It was because I changed my thinking about teaching students versus teaching history and English that caused me to find great fulfillment in my teaching. I had given up my own idea for a better one. Well, that's the first story. The second story comes from Stephen Covey and a change in his thinking about relationships that he wrote about in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. His thinking changed about a man in a subway, and I'll just read uh, 
just a very brief excerpt from that, from that book. Here's what he wrote. I remember a mini paradigm shift I experienced one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult for me not to feel irritated. I couldn't believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was an unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt at that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with a man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died? Oh, I am so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Covey's thinking changed about the man in the subway when he got new information from him. And changed thinking changed his relationship with that man. He went from irritation to compassion, all because his thinking changed. Well, if you forget everything else about today's episode, here's the one thing that I hope you remember from today's show. It's this. When we change how we think about people, it keeps us open to the mystery and goodness that could very well be hiding deep inside of them. Well, how can we respond to today's show? Well, one idea is to consider the relationships in your life that you wish were better. They could improve, certainly, if the other person changed, but uh, let's assume that's never going to happen. I think that's a fair assumption in most cases. But what can you do to think differently about the people in those relationships? Ask God to help you think about these relationships in ways that are still honest and true, but at the same time leaves room for grace, for understanding, for forgiveness, and for assuming the best about the other person. 
And then ask God to transform your thinking so that you can look at life a little more from their perspective and not just your own. And then finally, you can take to heart what my old boss, Mr. Kreiser, used to say. Never fall in love with your own idea when it comes to thinking about why your relationships aren't the way you'd like them to be. Another way you could respond is to listen to episode 43 from a while back, and that one is entitled, Thankful for People Different from Me. And as always, another thing, a final thing you can do is to let me and our fellow listeners know what resonated with you about today's episode, just like Darlene and Randy did at the beginning of today's show. You can share your thoughts in the leave a reply box at the bottom of the show notes, or you can send them to me in an email to john at caringforothers.org. I hope your thinking was stimulated by today's show to both reflect and to act so that you will find the joy that God intends for you through your relationships. Because after all, you were made for this. And now for our Relationship Quote of the Week. Knowing another language is like having a second soul. And the person that said that is Charlemagne, who was also known as Charles I, King of the Franks, who were the precursors of the modern-day French people. And he was crowned the first Holy Roman Emperor in the year 800. Knowing another language is like having a second soul. I, I sure wish I knew a second language, a second foreign language. But there are other languages we can learn, namely the love language, the love language of the people closest to us. Hmm. Knowing another language is like having a second soul. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week, and goodbye for now.